one. This is Saturday Nights All Right for podcasting from Radio Elton John. I'm your host, George Matlock. Be sure to subscribe to us from your favourite podcast player app. Mark it now to avoid missing out. And drop me a line if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Please email radio at eltonjohn.world. Well, tonight's guest is a real treat for the start of our second season. A chart topper in the 1970s and very nearly again in the 1990s both times with the same duet partner, Elton John. Someone who's had a brush with the Eurovision Song Contest in 1965, Live Aid in 1985, and the first British artist signed onto Tamla Motown. She's a very successful solo career artist and also recently has gone for a more paired back acoustic appreciation of music. So who are we talking about for our first show of 2023? Still touring? and also fresh off the stage at Dodgers Stadium in LA, tonight's guest is... Kiki D. Welcome, welcome, Kiki D. How are you? Thank you, George, I'm great. That was a very nice applause I got there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It, it, do you know what? Everyone gets the same applause. I d- don't know how to break it to you, love, but you know, <laughs> everyone gets exactly the same applause. <laughs> oh, cool. That's very cool. It's great to have you on board. So first of all, uh, I, I should actually start by, by reminding you when it was that we last spoke. You're, are you ready for this? I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> It'll come as a bit of a shock. It's, a, it's 20 three years to the very month when I last interviewed you, Kiki. Can you believe it? 23 wow. years. So it's, Crazy. Time, so it's time to do it again. <laughs> how are you? How are you, do, how are you keeping? How, how was your Christmas? Do you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm in a good place, apart from the weather, which is pretty horrendous. You know, lots of rain and it's cold. But yeah, I'm in a good place. Had a great Christmas and a great new year. And uh, looking forward to lots of singing this year. I've started today actually warming up my voice and getting back into form, as they say. Mm, yeah. Okay. All right. And how, how much sort of warming of the voice do you do? Is it something you do when you, uh, ahead of each performance or just when there's a season coming up and you, you know, how, 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 what is the sort of daily routine with that? Well, I'm a sort of little and often person. I've got a coach I work with. And it's really all about maintenance uh, yeah. at my age. And, I, I, you know, even if I did 20 minutes a day, I feel that that's better than doing two hours once a week, if that makes sense. Uh, it's just the regularity of it that gets your muscles, your throat muscles and, and your breathing up again, you know, to be match fit. Mm. OK. And coming back just very quickly to Christmas, um, I understand that you and Elton have something of a ritual when it comes to prezzies. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, always for many, many years, Elton sends me uh, an orchid. It used to be champagne as well, but it's kind of diminished down. But that's OK because he's got children now, you know, school fees. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fine. And and I... in. 
In return, I send a donation to the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Uh, and so we have this kind of reciprocal thing, which is quite fun. Fantastic. And I always get a Christmas card every year of the b picture of the boys, which is really nice. Oh, wonderful. So he has these sort of customised uh, special cards made that he sends out. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. He does, yeah. And I met them actually last year at Dodger Stadium, uh, which was lovely. Mm. And how, how um, they're, they're growing fast, of course. Well behaved, I hope. Oh, yeah, really, really good. I, I've got a feeling that Elton's a very good parent, although yeah. I haven't met them before. And uh, I just I just have a feeling that he's, he, he understands what it takes. Mm. Well, indeed. Yeah. So, so fantastic. Excellent uh, to hear that. Um, now, let's talk about a little bit about you. So for, for people who don't know you, you I mean, you live just north of London, I know. Um, but you were born even further north um, in Bradford. Am I right? Yeah, in the industrial north, I was born in a place called Bradford, which is near Leeds, which is a bigger city. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, to a regular background, uh, three children, an older brother and sister. Right. And my mum didn't go to work. I was born in 47, uh, post-war, and, and, and had a really secure childhood with lots of love. And we didn't have a lot materially, but we had everything you could ever want in this world, you know, emotionally. Right, right. Well, and of course, love being the most important of all of them, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if I make, draw the parallel, so you were born the same year as uh, Elton John then, weren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm about around three weeks older than him, so I don't let him forget that. <laughs> uh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the matriarch in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want no, to talk a, a little bit about the music itself now. So um, one of the songs, and you probably remember this from way back when we did uh, the first interview in uh, in uh, year 2000, was I'm a huge fan of the song Amoureuse, as are so many people. Um, it's, it was a big hit for you. It was 1973. It was produced by uh, a mutual friend of ours, the wonderful, late and great uh, Gus Dudgeon. Um, but tell, tell me a bit about the, the song, because it's a bit naughty, this song, isn't it? Well, you know, it, it was an amazing time for me because uh, I was finally working with people of my own age. Uh, I got signed to Elton's Rocket label and Elton produced two albums, actually, in a five year period over that time. He, he produced the album Loving and Free, which had Amoureuse mm. on it. And uh, it's a beautiful song, really, about love, uh, uh, about someone having their first experiences. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, interestingly enough, although it's a female lyric, it was written by a man in English, Gary Osborne. Of course. Taken from the French. Uh, it was composed by the wonderful Veronique Sanson. Mm -hmm. And um, lots of men at shows, you know, I do my shows with Carmelo around the UK, etc. And... Lots of men like it also, so it's it's got a broad appeal, yeah. And uh, it's a time timeless song as well. It really is, and and you're absolutely right. You could play that on the turntable today, and it sounds just as fresh and just as evocative as it did way way back. Well, this year it's going to be fifty years. My goodness. I know. I'm thinking of doing a T-shirt, but uh, maybe I will. <laughs> well, no, but well, you know, talk to the record company. I think 50-year anniversary. This, this has got to be marked in some way. Surely they've got to do a re-release. Yeah, and next year we've got. I've got the music in me 50 years, mm. so there's a lot of 50 years going on at the moment. So it's so, all so good fun, though. It's so all good fun. fun. Well, but, but what you know, but it's a timeless classic, as you said, and and uh, a great, great piece. Uh, 
great recording, great vocal, most of all, because that's what, what this is about. Oh, thank you. And, you know, really very, 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 very powerful. Um, I want to turn to now, though, uh, the song that you're probably best remembered for, so, though so far, I should say, because I'm sure many hits to come. Um, oh, and, and, and that song is, of course, wait for it, wait for it, True Love. No, we're, okay, well, I, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but it could have been, it could have been, it could well have been. It was, it got to number two in the 90s and uh, with, with, with Elton. But no, of course, we're talking about 1976. We're, we're taking you back to Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Elton John. Tell us a, a bit about that song, because uh, I noticed that when you uh, went on went on stage, uh, well, I say stage, I shouldn't say stage, but when you did the promo video for that in 76, Elton sort of took you to the warehouse, it looked like, uh, to record the promo video. Um, and he sort of looked as though he was sort of jostling you towards the mic. Was that in jest or, or had you just had an almighty row? <laughs> No, you know what? It's it was pre-MTV. You know, it cost about four pounds fifty to do, <laughs> and it was done because Elton was in America a lot and travelling the world mm. even then, and uh, we needed something in case it charted on top of the pops, which is of course the UK uh, big big pop show that was the chart show that we had, mm. and uh, so we did this video not thinking anything really just having a bit of fun messing about and of course Elton had, I don't think he'd ever stood up and performed before so he was kind of a little bit awkward but it had a certain charm and it was for real if you get my drift we only did about three takes uh, and uh, yeah the rest is history really what's interesting I feel is sometimes the things you do in life you do sometimes if you've got no expectation and you just do them because it's kind of fun to do. There we are, all those years later, we've got a song that's still played now and still popular. So who would have known? Well, let's just have a little, little interjection of that music. Here we go. Okay, well, that's just a little piece there of the, obviously, the bridge part uh, from uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, a number one hit for Elton John. But let me just uh, ask you something else about this this song. So um, after, after uh, the, when you did the, you, you said you did it in three takes, and uh, which take was the one that then kind of made it, made it, made it the video? Was it the first, second, or the third? Oh, you know what? I've got no idea because my memory's rubbish. Unlike Elton, who remembers everything, right. remembers holidays we had in the early 70s. He's just amazing. But so I don't really remember, but I do know that it was done very quickly. Right. And uh, that's kind of it, really. <laughs> and did, OK, all right. Here's, here's an easy way to work this out. Um, you did it in three takes. Um, did he poke you in each one of them or was that just in one of them? He probably did, knowing Elton. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right now, when the song when the song was was released, obviously, um, I mean, for, I mean, I remember it as a child. Obviously, myself um, growing up, it was it was a very exciting song because it was it was a fast tempo song. It was it was uh, obviously a very positive song. Um, but um, I wanted to ask you this: um, when uh, there was something really magical happened, because first of all, it started off with Elton uh, taking the lead. Uh, he sings the first line. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, another top 10 hit for Elton. 
you know, another top 10 hit. Then something magical and really warm happens. Your voice comes through. You sang that line, I couldn't if I tried. And it was obvious that this was going to go to number one. Was there a lot of anticipation in the Elton camp that this song was finally going to clinch it for uh, Elton securing him his first ever UK number one? You know, I don't know if we even thought that way, um, you know, because there was so much going on. If you think about it, his career was really happening. Mm. And for me, you know, after Amoureuse in 73, you know, three years later, you know, to have my third hit record in the UK uh, was great. Um, but I really don't think there was that much expectation. Uh, you know, we thought it we thought it would do well, obviously, because it was you know, a well-crafted song. It was well, the band were great. Uh, the string arrangement was by James Newton Howard, mm. who went on to do many, many Hollywood film scores. Uh, and I, actually, I was just listening to it the other day and Elton's vocal's fantastic. Because mm. it's very high part, it's a very high part for a man. And yes, uh, you know, what true. a lot of people don't realize actually is that he did his vocal in America and I did mine in the UK, so we didn't actually mm. sing it together on the record. So that's quite interesting. Right. But Gus Dudgeon, being the producer that he, that he was and the wonderful man that he was, um, he, he has so many instincts. He had so many instincts about making it work and, uh, you know, what, what the vocal required which is why it's so great to work with a producer like that, because they know what they're looking for. Yeah. And uh, so the whole experience actually was a lot of fun. Actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, uh, Gus in some detail, because um, obviously uh, you, you probably remember also that it was in uh, January uh, 2003 uh, that we last met um, uh, face to face, and it was actually at uh, the memorial uh the service that well, memorial show i should say that was put on at um at abbey rose studios and i remember that remember very that? well yes yes i do it was a great night it was a, it was an amazing night it was it was packed full of people and um i remember going on stage and saying a few words well actually, a few words isn't quite right it was about nine minutes actually but nine minutes i was on stage that's a long time that is a, that's long, a time. long time that is a long time um and it was a lovely ovation from from all these uh record executives and people who were there and then a guy came up to me and shook my hand and he said thank you so much for that that means a lot and walked away and I'd never met him all I knew is I can tell you now he was he had curly hair and he had a chessboard checkered type jacket on of course I'm talking about Gary Osborne and I thought oh, how amazing Gary. how amazing you know no disrespect if Elton had come up to me and said that was that was touching or I like that or thank you so much that would have been already a great gesture right but to have a wordsmith like him a lyric writer come and say that meant so much so it was wonderful it was a, it was a very special uh, occasion in fact uh, for the fans don't know probably this just yet but um, this month we're going to be publishing that uh, speech that I gave um, as it is, as it marks the twentieth anniversary of that in two thousand three, we're going to be releasing Amazing. that on on our website. So something to look out for. But uh, Kiki, I remember you were there as well, and um, it was as you said, it was a very special night, and um, uh, and it, I will always treasure it. So uh, you know, and we all remember Gus. He was so good to the fans. You know, he 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 would come and he would do um, uh, signings of CDs and stuff, and he was he, he's. Full of energy, always. Incredible guy, incredible guy. Oh, yes, absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. A wonderful man and very sophisticated dresser. He always looked mm. fabulous. And, uh, and just very funny in the studio, you know, if you were feeling a little bit nervous or tense, because uh, I did an album with him on Rocket as well in uh, 75, I believe. Sem sorry, 70, yeah, around then. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he was really wonderful to work with. And, and tragically, we lost him too soon. Well, so absolutely. And his dear wife, Sheila, who again was was a powerhouse, an amazing lady, um, really enjoyed meeting her on several occasions as well. So. There it is. But this is this is the month that we will remember, Gus, particularly that that uh, that a big occasion over at Abbey Road Studios in London. Well, so, that's a lovely story. Thank you. So, Kiki, just moving on to uh, something else. Now. I want to ask you about MasterChef. Now, I know you appeared on that in back in 2014. Oh, no. Yeah. Are you a bit of a cook then? Not at all. In fact, my best friend, Jenny, uh, who was actually Gary Osborne's uh, partner in the early 70s, said to me, why are you doing MasterChef? You don't cook, Kiki. And I kind of, it was a strange thing. I got persuaded to do it by somebody. And they said, you know, lots of people have never cooked before and all this. Mm -hmm. And it was one of my most embarrassing moments. But um, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I can cook. But, you know, I'm, it's not something that I've got a, a big attention span for, you know. I believe anybody can be a pretty good cook. But I think you've got to really enjoy it and uh, and be interested in it. And yeah, for me, it, it wasn't on my top 10 list of things to do tomorrow. You know? Right, yeah. Got it, got it. So are you going to but, be appearing in something like uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? Is that going to be the next big thing? Well, in honesty, George, I've been offered uh, since that time, I've been offered uh, a lot of TV shows like, mm -hmm. you know, Strictly mm -hmm. Come Dancing in the UK, mm -hmm. which I couldn't do for personal reasons. I'd lost a family member. Right. And of course, I was asked to do um, I'm a Celebrity. But, you know, I always I have these sort of barometers. I say, well, would would so-and-so do that? You know, someone like Jodie Mitchell, would she do that? No, of course she wouldn't. And uh, so, you know, the people I respect musically. and I And I reached a point where I thought, the only way to do a reality TV show is if you really want to do it, if mm. you really want to have fun with it and feel that you've got something to say. But if you're doing it for promotion or you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it's a big mistake. Mm. Yeah. That's that's what I've learned. Yeah. 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 So if it's not good she enough, she said, sounding very serious. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's not good enough for Joni Mitchell, it's not good enough for Kiki D. I got it. I got it. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, well, I remember actually, funnily enough, uh, I do remember one of the topics that we we covered back, uh, you know, back in the year two thousand when we we sp last spoke is that um, we talked about um, the 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 sort of growth of talent shows. I mean, remember back then in two thousand, we had two things going. We had these reality shows that were kicking off, and we also had uh, these. Um, at these kind of talent shows, you know, from Simon Cowell and so on. And there was a whole sort of factory of these things going on. Uh, and I remember we, we related to a song that you recorded back in 1980, Star, which is an, another really great track, which, of course, got used by Opportunity Knox when that went to BBC um, uh, all those years ago. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, you know, uh, s s what you said in that interview, it, it, it was so true about, you know, how it's all become very sort of disposable, artist um you know the, the whole thing and 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 i suppose that that the song itself the lyrics of the song star really sum up don't they that the times we live in absolutely i mean considering 
it was written uh, by a singer actually called Doreen Chanter, mm. who was a really good backing singer. I used to do a lot of sessions with her in the early days. And um, yeah, it was about the star system really. And, and mm. you know, it's very difficult to say to people, it's quite hard being famous. It's quite hard, you know, desiring to be this big star because when it actually happens to you, you the reality sets in and you realize that the work starts now, mm. you know, I mean, someone like Elton uh, and lots of other artists actually have sustained that stardom, but it's something you've got to enjoy. And I've, in, in all honesty, I've always been more interested in music and performance and, 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 and exploration rather than being accepted as a star. Yeah. I, it's I think always been more important to me. It's, it's that sort of staying power of having to always be up there and there's another show to do, another interview to give another whatever i guess it's it's the difference between enjoying the music i guess discovering the music is what you're saying and and doing it when you want to and spontaneously and not having a manager tell you well you've got to be here now and in three hours time you've got to be over there as well is is that the, is that listen what? i can only speak i can only speak subjects i can only speak subjectively um about the way i feel um and my experience i mean for some people stardom's great fun but I think, I suspect for a lot of people, it, it takes away a lot of time. Mm. It, it can actually stunt your creativity in many ways um, because, you know, the, the whole identity of it and the whole wanting to please and wanting to be successful, wanting to, to be accepted, uh, I, I just found in the end that just wasn't me. And I come from a very solid down-to-earth background uh, and I think that's partly why my character is, is I need to feel grounded, mm, you know, mm. that's the way I am. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at somebody like Elton, it, it's, it's kind of remarkable that back in the 1970s, he was effectively contracted to doing loads of albums. He was doing like three albums a year. I mean, producing that, that much material is, is just incredible. And, and that went on for several years on the trot. Um, but it's not for everyone, right? So it, it can get grating and it can stunt people's creativity. It didn't in Elton's case, bless him. I mean, he's 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 never had a dull moment, but he's he's always managed to sort of always come up with something new and creative and unusual. And and he's reinvented himself, of course, as an artist so many times as well. Um, so That's true. Yeah. That, I mean, he fits it. He fits it so well. And he's he's uh, prolific, too. I mean, you know, you hear that thing about bands and artists, don't you? The first album's great because it took four years to, to write it yeah. and to prepare yeah. it. You take it to the label and then they say, we want another one in six months. And the second album obviously often wasn't as good as, as the first one. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it's a funny old game we're in. But, um, you know, I suppose I'm much older and wiser now and, and I'm in a sort of freedom period, if you like. Mm. Uh, I'm at the end of my career in a sense and I'm doing, I'm all about enjoying every day as much as is possible. And I like the discipline. It's something to get up in the morning for, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, that's it really. Um, sorry, my phone just rang. That's all right. Listen, folks, this is live radio. This is how it's supposed to sound, okay? So it's, it's cool. Okay, you had to take a phone call. Was that Elton ringing saying, what, you what? <laughs> <laughs> how dare you talk about me like that now? <laughs> 
I have to tell you, you know, uh, when I was in LA for Dodgers mm. at the end of 2022 in November, mm. I had the most wonderful conversation with him on the phone on the night before the concert mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. Dodgers on the Sunday night on the 20th of, of November. Yeah. Um, it was as if he had the time and, you know, no pressure around him. And we had a conversation which was very much like we used to have in the 70s. It was funny. It, it, it was just so lovely to reconnect with him in that way because, yeah, I do speak to him occasionally, but, you know, when you live that kind of life, which he does, mm. uh, I think it's quite hard to to give of yourself to, to, to that many people. I've always been aware of that. And I never expect anything from Elton, you know, except mm. respect and love. And, and we just had the most wonderful chat and it was almost worth going to LA just for that. Oh, fantastic. You know, even, even if we hadn't done the, the concert the night after, you know, yeah. it's lovely. So you, so this was a phone call you had. So you went over to LA and then the night before the gig, um, he, he rang you, did he? Or, or how, how, did it, how did it happen? And, and how long did you chat for? Yeah, he ran me at the hotel uh, mm. where I was in LA and, and probably about 20 minutes. We had a long chat and uh, yeah, it was, it was my mate. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, presumably he wasn't talking shop, right? He wasn't talking about music. He was just talking about him and you and the kids and stuff like that. So it's sort of normal, balanced chit chat. Yeah, I mean, the, the particularly lovely thing about it was he was very, he was, the first thing he said to me was, Kiki, I think you're going to make a lot of money out of this project. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. You know, it was all about me rather than him, which was so sweet. And uh, I, I can't even remember what we talked about now. It's just the fact that we gave each other time and we had that time to actually talk like mates. And uh, I really, really felt good afterwards. He has it's really been... hard to describe. He's, he has really become quite a sort of ambassador for promoting others. I mean, um, I mean, in your case, you're an established artist already. But 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 take somebody like, you know, Britney Spears. I mean, last year he did that duet with her, which was a, a dance mm. remix of obviously uh, several Elton songs in one. Um, and the fans loved it because there was, oh, there's a bit of this in there. There's a bit of that song in there, you know, and all the fans are all over it, analyzing yeah, yeah. it as they do. But what, what was, was nice is that his motive for doing it was, was, was I think, very genuine, very, very special. And that was that he, he, he knows that Brittany's been through a pretty rough patch for some recent years. And he wanted to try and use this song to relaunch her, her career. And and I think that's 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 an, a very admirable thing to do, and a, and a very um, you know I say community-minded thing to do, you know, to try and help out a buddy. So I think that was that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful, you know, the generosity that he, that he has for other artists, and also the fact that one of the wonderful things about him is he's so enthusiastic about everything. Mm. Uh, because you know, let's face it, we've been around a long time, the pair of us. And you do get a little bit jaded sometimes. And the fact that he's so involved in young artists and the creative process still, and it's very admirable. It's, it's, he is quite an, a special man, as we all know. Mm, absolutely. Tell us about the song in, I think it was 1993 it was released, The uh, True Love, which was obviously a duet um, just in time for Christmas. What was the, um, what was the, the, the incentive for that? Was it, I mean, it's obviously a, a Cole Porter song, right, that, that, that uh, cover version of, of a Cole Porter song. What what um, did he did he just come to you and say? Look, I want to do a Cole Porter special. Would you come on board and do it? I mean, is that how it happened? 
Well, actually, he, he was doing a duets album with mm -hmm. lots of artists, mm -hmm. which ended up um, being a live show at Madison Square Garden, one night only. Mm. And um, he, he loved that song, he told me. Mm. And I was invited to be one of the, his duets. And, uh, and so I was very, very happy to... Um, you know, to be part of that album and, and to do that lovely song. And, you know, the arrangement for it actually was started off by uh, Robin Lemesere, uh, who was in Rod Stewart's band, who was a mate of mine in LA. Mm. He kind of put down a rough demo of it and, and that's the arrangement that they actually used. So I'm not sure how much credit Robin got for that, but um, yeah, so that's an interesting bit of memorabilia. Right, Rob, Robin, and, you've got uh, you've got your you've got your ad in, mate. mate. We, we've put you on. We've put you on. He's going to get the credit here tonight. That's right, Robin. Well, Robin. actually, you know, he he passed away sadly, but mm. he he was the son of uh, of John Lemessurier and Hattie yeah. Jakes, mm -hmm. and um, you know, sadly, we lost him mm. uh, about a year ago. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just nice to bring his name up. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yep, and I think we'll give some credit to Cole Porter. He's been long, long, sadly gone, but um, again, uh, a very gifted songwriter, a beautiful piece of music, and I'm so glad that you and Elton both enjoyed recording it. And I think we enjoyed listening to it. It was a great, great song, and it got to number two. I mean, that's why I was—I wasn't making light of it earlier on when I said it could have been, because um, it nearly did. Could it have been a biggie. Well, it was pretty big, yeah. yeah it was. It I mean, well. I don't know what it did in—I don't know what it did around the world or anything, but. But um, yeah, it was, it was, I, I really liked it. And uh, it's one of those very short songs. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I love the American songbook. I mean, those, mm. Gershwin and, and all these writers of so many. Yeah. Wonderful talents who, they kind of said it all, didn't they? Before mm. rock and roll came along, jazz and rock and roll. And uh, they really did say it all. And everything comes back in a different form. But yep. Um, yep. some of the lyrics that they did uh, in those days were just phenomenal, really. Yeah, and you mentioned um, uh, the American Songbook. Of course, that became also this, a series of, I think, four very successful albums for uh, Sir Rod Stewart as well, didn't it? Yeah, do you know, I never actually heard them, but, uh, but I know does, they did very well for him. Yeah, he, You know what? He did so well. He, he did justice. There was a that gravelly voice, but just that right sort of jazzy, you know, he, he made it very much a, more of a jazzy interpretation and he was so suited to it. Um, and so, you know, oh, that's wonderful. it's, it's well, well worth um, catching up with that uh, when you, when you have some time to yourself. So it definitely is. It's a, it's a good discovery that one. You'll, I think you'll enjoy it. Just final question, if I may, uh, we're nearly out of time really, mm. is just to ask you about Dodge, a little bit more about Dodger stadium itself. So the, the gig last uh, November was of course um, the, the end of, of an era for Elton in the United States. It was his last North American uh, tour tour date uh, um, and I want to ask you how how did you feel sort of going on stage and and what's your sort of um, sort of uh, most sort of concrete memory of that of that occasion and how 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 will you remember it? Well, that's a, that's a simple but good question. Uh, you know, I wasn't at all nervous because I've, I've sung the song so much with Elton. Mm. And, and the reception for me was so warm. And um, of course he had Brandy Carlisle and Dua Lipa also as guests. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just so lovely to be invited. And it, it was almost like a full circle for Elton and I, you know, because I was at the original Dodger Stadium concert in 75. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I know Billie Jean King was there. A lot, a lot of people were there, and I, I was just hanging out, and and you know it just felt so wonderful to go back and kind of relive those moments. Uh, you know of all those tours I did in America in the seventies with Elton, when you know the stadium tours, and um, it was just it was over in a flash. And the the the, the interesting thing about doing a, a guest spot like that is you have to jump into his energy after he's been on stage for probably an hour and a, an hour and a half. And so you have to kind of get yourself psyched up for that moment when you're going to do that two, three minute song. And and I was backstage. I was I was just really raring to go and have some fun. You know, it was wonderful. Well, wonderful. I think you deserve another round of applause. <laughs> louder, louder. Give it more. Give it, give it everything. Come on. <laughs> All right, that's, 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 that's what you get for volunteers. You know, you, you just can't get the staff. I mean, really, Kiki, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. It really is. <laughs> just can't get the staff. Um, we could speak for uh, easily several more hours. We, we have not even started to do justice to you as an artist here today, but I'm so pleased. Kiki D, you've been a great sport. Thank you so much for being on, on the show. And will you promise me we won't have to do this again as far away as 23 more years? It might not be possible, actually. <laughs> No, no I, I think we should. I think we should. We shouldn't wait that long. No, we, we shouldn't, shouldn't wait, wait that long. long. No, we so. certainly shouldn't. Well, no, it's been yeah. absolutely fantastic. So stay right there, and uh, thank you so much for being part of Saturday Night's All Right for podcasting. My pleasure. Well, we hope you've enjoyed tonight's programme and indeed that you will join us, uh, as you know, the last Saturday in every month we have a special guest on this very programme. That was Kiki D uh, speaking to us and um, uh, you heard about Dodger Stadium. Don't forget, of course, that um, back in November, a few days after the Dodger Stadium concert, in fact, we did interview Kenny Passarelli, who was the bass guitarist, of course, for Elton John back in 1975 at Dodger Stadium. So do check out our back catalogue as well. So that's me, George Matlock, signing off and wishing you a very good day.